This is the City of God podcast, where Christ meets culture. Each week on the City of God podcast, we're talking about the culture's biggest issues, uh, but exploring them through the lens of God's infallible word. Today, I'm joined by uh, my co-host, John Raid, and also we're joined by Lauren Cooley, who is the executive director of the Institute for Faith and Culture. As you know, this uh, podcast is made in partnership uh, between Coral Ridge Ministries and uh, the Institute for Faith and Culture, and she's also the executive director of the Center for Christian Statesmanship, which we'll talk about a little later in the program. But Lauren, great to have you on the program today. Thanks, Rob. I'm excited to be on the program. I've been behind the scenes in the studio the last few episodes, and it's good to be you know, live in front of the mic today. So uh, the Institute for Faith and Culture, as I said, we'll talk about the Center for Christian Statesmanship. You're wearing two different hats uh, for multiple ministries, but uh, let's dive into the Institute for Faith and Culture. Uh, it's an initiative that was launched at Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church uh, back in the fall of 2022. Explain to our audience a little bit about the Institute, why it exists, and what it hopes to accomplish. Sure. So Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church really has a long history of establishing institutions. We don't just talk about the need for Christian education. Uh, Coral Ridge founded Westminster Academy. We don't just talk about the need for good theology. We have Knox Theological Seminary. Um, you have the same thing with Coral Ridge uh, at the media ministry. And so we believe that Christians should be engaged in culture 24-7. It's not just a private faith on Sunday morning, but really a public faith that we live out um, in every sphere of life, every Every place that we have influence. Um, so the Institute for Faith and Culture is really, um, it's a think tank, but also a do tank to equip and train lay people in a Christian worldview, and then how to go out into society um, and really filter through all these issues of the day through the lens of God's word. And for those listening who are not near South Florida, uh, just by way of explanation, Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church, of course, the church founded by Dr. D. James Kennedy. Rob, you are his successor here and, of course, grew up under his preaching and, and came to the Lord uh, under the ministry of Dr. Kennedy. And, Lauren, it really was Dr. Kennedy's vision as well that we are not just enclosed. The culture wants to keep us inside the four walls of the church, and I think that's even more the case now than it was 40 or 50 years ago. Uh, and so the point is we can't just open the doors and expect people to come and be changed. We've also got to take it out there. Absolutely. I think we're all really familiar with the uh, Great Commission to go spread the gospel, but sometimes we forget about the cultural mandate. And that's really kind of like the same thing in, in the sense of sharing the gospel, but it's in sharing our worldview and in sharing what the Bible says about all, about all aspects of life. Yeah, that's awesome. You, Lauren, you mentioned about uh, our history as a, a church of building institutions. I think that's one of the great legacies of our founder, D. James Kennedy. Um, as you said, you know, he just didn't talk about and complain about education. He started a school. He didn't just complain about seminary education and kind of the, the drift of progressive seminaries. He went and launched his own. And, you know, the, the ministry that we're all a part of, uh, Coral Ridge Media and, and D. James Kennedy Ministries, he, he, he took the gospel to the ends of the earth through uh, ways yet undreamed. Yeah. Uh, and evangelism explosion. And expo too. Evangelism yeah. explosion, whether it was television, movies, media, uh, uh, now a podcast. Uh, so we do have this long history of uh, what I like to say, taking a vision and, and making it an institution. And that's what we're hoping to do at the Institute for Faith and Culture. What are some of the things that the Institute does? Because, of course, this is uh, CRPC, Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church, is a local church. But this is also, in a way, more
more than just a, a local initiative. It starts here, but I know there's uh, the, the, the hope and the idea of, of replicating this throughout the country. But what sorts of things does the Institute do to engage that other churches hopefully can, can, uh, mod- can, can follow along in that model as they go? Sure. So we have a lot of different opportunities for people to be resourced and to be equipped to articulate their worldview um, in the culture. We call it cultural apologetics. But um, one of the main things that we're doing is a certificate course program. Basically, there's core courses kind of do a deep dive on these different issues within society. Um, Typically, a one or two day course from a thought leader, um, a theologian, and explaining, you know, not only what does the Bible say about the cultural mandate, but then how to go and apply it. Or what does the Bible say about uh, Christians being involved in politics in the public square? Or what does the Bible say about being a Christian involved in finance and economics or how to raise a Christian family? And it's not only just from the theological perspective, but really the the skill set and the building blocks to go out and live that in your life. So we have that program. Um, we're also creating resources. Some of those are blogs. Some of those are videos. One thing uh, is this podcast. And so it's really finding a way to take what is the, the current event, the hot button issue or topic of the day, and being a rapid response to that so that it's not uh, the culture that's driving the response, but it's the church, it's Christianity that has a response to everything that happens in life. Rob, you and I did a, a television program that will air in a few weeks uh, that, that was recorded the other day. But in it, we talk about the fact that, uh, you know, you, you've, you have this sort of sacred secular divide that has occurred in the church. And even the reformers fought against this uh, going back to the 1500s, but where sort of a wall was built where spiritual things are on one side, prayer and, uh, you know, church and God are on the one side. And then the rest of mundane daily life is on the other side, jobs and economics and politics and so forth, it seems that uh, we have a culture that really encourages that divide. And so, so many churches have focused on just personal, individual spiritual formation. And, and while that's important, I'm curious, as, as a pastor yourself, who had the vision for this institute and some of the other initiatives that both D. James Kennedy Coral Ridge Ministries is doing and Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church is doing, um, as a pastor, where do you see sort of the disconnect? Where do you find that that people are at where they need to be prodded and pushed in a direction that says, no, it's got to be, it's not less than this, but it's more than this? Yeah, it's, it's interesting to see the statistics in America right now. Um, right now, uh, contrary to maybe public opinion, church attendance is up. Um, More people are coming to faith uh, here in North America than ever before in history. But at the same time, there's not a lot of influence in society. So I look at the statistics, I see the church growth movement, I see the, the, the record number of conversions happening, but I go, why are we losing as a church influence in the uh, public arena, in the public square, in the marketplace? And it's because as much as our churches are growing, as people are coming to faith in Jesus Christ, the pulpits are silent on these cultural issues. And not only the pulpits, being silent. There's no program or infrastructure or initiatives being launched at the local church level that's actually taking a person in the pew on Sunday morning and actually equipping them and employing them for Monday morning work or Monday morning service or or, um, Monday morning leadership in the public square. And so that really is the heartbeat of the Institute, breaking down that 
that divide that you just talked about, which is an artificial divide. Yes. It's nowhere to be found in the Bible. Jesus is either Lord of all or he's Lord of nothing at all. Uh, the, the, the Christian faith is, yes, deeply personal, but it's never meant, has never meant to be lived in private, is a public faith. As Lauren mentioned earlier, even the Great Commission speaks to this idea that we're to take this message to all nations, to teach them everything that he, that uh, Jesus commanded his disciples uh, to learn, to know, and to live their lives in submission to. And that really is what we want to do at Coral Ridge, but also we hope by God's grace is replicated at churches all across North America, giving pastors confidence. Yes, you can talk about these cultural issues that we are mandated to talk about from the pulpit uh, to give our people the tools, the worldview, and the encouragement to go out and be a public witness for the kingdom. And you raise such a key point there. I think that people think about the Great Commission. Today, we tend to think of that in terms of evangelism, in terms of getting people saved, sharing our faith, uh, and how do you get to heaven. And, and again, that's a crucial component. Absolutely. We don't remove that. But as you point out, Rob, that people forget the second half of the Great Commission. As you said, it's going to all the world. And to do what? Yes, we baptize people, but it also tells us, Jesus says, uh, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. We are to go to all the nations and teach them all that Jesus has commanded. So this is really a question for both of you who are on the front lines of, of helping people, equipping people, training people in the church. I think that probably a lot of pastors and just a lot of individuals feel like it's just overwhelming. I don't even know where to begin. We're, we live in a culture that doesn't even agree that truth is available anymore, let alone what is the truth. So what do what do you do to help sort of push people to the next step when they say, uh, you know, a pastor who really does want to train his congregation but says, I don't even know where to begin. I don't even know where to begin carving into the elephant to eat this thing. Uh, it's just too much. Well, I would encourage anyone who's interested in the work that we're doing to go to our website, institutefc.org. Um, that's where you can find our resources. That's where you can connect with us. If it's a pastor that needs encouragement, uh, myself or Pastor Rob will get on the phone with them and explain to them what we're doing, how you can be bold in your witness uh, and in your engagement of the culture. If it's a lay person, just a, a person that's sitting in the pews on Sunday morning and needs resources or wants to be a part of the programming we're doing, same thing, institutefc.org. We can get you plugged in that way. And so they, they they can even encourage their pastor to get in touch with you as well, and, and you can offer encouragement and resources. Absolutely. And so like Lauren mentioned, I mean, we're going to have courses, seminars, conferences. Uh, we're going to have special uh, uh, panel discussions. Uh, for instance, in February, we're going to be hosting uh, Ben Carson and Alveda mm. King uh, talking about the intersection of faith and culture. And so uh, we these are the types of thought leaders that the Institute will be exposing the, the not just our church community, but the hopefully the Christian community to these thought leaders to really get re-engaged once again in the issues that our our culture is facing. But how do we respond as the people of God to spread influence for the sake of the kingdom of God? So Rob, you're the host and I'm the co-host and yet I, you two are the experts on this and I have a lot of questions. So I'm just going to keep throwing them at yeah, you for a absolutely. minute, if you don't mind. Uh, you know, there there is so much, uh, so much confusion, I think, uh, among even God's people right now. One of the things that you frequently hear is, is just the idea that, well, you know, our time here is limited anyway. 
that, uh, you know, Jesus is going to return any day. And so there's really, it's really a waste of time to be running around dealing with, you know, politics and law and even culture. The main thing that we need to do is, is, is get people saved. Um, what about that idea that we're just sort of polishing the, the brass rails on the Titanic as it goes down, uh, which I do think is a really common idea. Like, what, don't waste time with that. Time is short. We need to be doing this. Well, first of all, I'd say what an awful way to live. If that really is the end of the story, if that really is the calling of the Christian life, who in the world wants to be a part of that? But secondly, that's just not what is found in the Bible. That is not what the people of God have been called to, whether it be the people of God in the Old Testament, the, the New Testament church. It has always been a public faith. What did God called his people in the Old Testament to be a light to who? A light to the nations uh, so that all people would be drawn to see the greatness and the glory of God. When Jesus comes and he has uh, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, what does he say? You're the salt of the earth and the light of the world be a city he and that word city actually means polis where we get the word politics from. Uh, so whenever I hear a Christian say, we shouldn't be involved in politics, I say, well, you don't need to take that up with me. You need to take that up with Jesus himself. <laughs> uh, be a political entity in the midst of another political entity. You know, be a city of God in the midst of the city of man. And uh, when you, John, when you see the end of the story in Revelation, it's not us going up to heaven, it's heaven coming down to earth. And in the meantime, this is why we have been left here on earth. If Jesus just wanted us to be saved and go to heaven, he would have just done that. He would have saved us and brought us up to heaven. There's a reason he left us here. Uh, it's to bring heaven to earth. And we bring heaven to earth in every sphere of culture, uh, whether it be politics, government, business, media, entertainment, education. That is the calling of the Christian life. And I'm grateful for that because it is the most exciting thing to be a part of the the work of the kingdom of God and the local church here on earth. And I think the other thing to keep in mind, Rob, is that it's not just uh, the role of a pastor to do this or the role of a politician to do this, but God calls the lay people. He calls every single one of us to be involved. And I think that we do that first and foremost to glorify and honor him. It is our public service to our community um, in love and kindness and service that really uh, replicates what Jesus did when he was on earth. And so for all the different actions we do in that you know, granular grassroots level, at the end of the day, it's, it's loving on others and it's, it's to glorify God. Yep. It's the stay-at-home mom. It's the entrepreneur. It's the nurse, the doctor, the educator. Um, it, it's, it's, the, it's the retiree. It's the teenager in high school and the freshman in college. All, if they belong to Jesus Christ, they are called to live out a public faith in our culture. Ephesians 4, Paul says, this is the work of the church uh, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So what Paul was saying is it's not the calling of the ordained professionals, the, the clergy to do the work of ministry. It's actually the calling of the clergy to equip those saints, the people sitting in the pews on the weekend, to actually go out and live out a public faith. They're the ones called to ministry. And that's one thing we always preach at Coral Ridge. Every member ministry, uh, you are in ministry if you belong to Jesus Christ. It's, it's now getting the church of Jesus Christ in North America to wake up. This is not something new that we're doing. <laughs> I, uh, the Institute for Faith and Culture is nothing new. It's nothing innovative. It's actually embracing our ancient calling as a church to embrace our calling in a secular culture. 
It seems to me too that one of the things that we need to do is 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 help people not to have a false perception of of what the lay of the land really is out there. And again, you two are, are frequently dealing with this on the front lines. But I think a lot of people have an exaggerated perception because of social media, because of the twenty four hour cable news cycle, and so forth. They have an exaggerated idea about the division and the polarity of America. There's no question. There's there's a lot of division, but that stuff gets really heated on. Line. And so you can really sort of get the impression that if I take my faith out into public, if I take my faith into the, you know, Starbucks or, uh, you know, my local, uh, you know, grocery store, that people are going to react extraordinarily hostily. Um, in, in experience, that's not really where people are at. We can have a little bit of confidence that the, the solidity of the truth that we offer in love is actually still rather appealing to people. They may not know what it is, but in, in uncertain times, that, that has some real appeal. When nobody has truth, here's some people who have confidently have the truth and offer it in love, which of course is a key. That, that's, that's a meaningful thing. I think it's our uh, job to be winsome and articulate and loving in the way that we express what we believe. I think if you show up and you're standing on a street corner and you're screaming and yelling, you've got picket (laughs) signs, you're going to be met with some surely hostility. Um, But if you are bringing a message of truth and hope and love to individuals who are really seeking for that, um, you may be met with a little bit of a cold shoulder at first, but there's so many people who are who are looking for answers. And I think we fail to recognize that if the church doesn't speak out, someone else will. And I think that that's the, that's the case with education, uh, with young children, with college students, but really all generations and all ages. Uh, there's definitely um, a a group of people, a worldview that is speaking a secular ideology. If we're not countering that with what we believe, then we fall silent and there's no there's no alternative to be offered. Yeah, for far too long, the church in North America has been on the defensive. And we need to live in light of the promise that Christ says himself, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. Mm. It's time for us in both grace and truth in a, in a loving way, but in a bold and courageous way, um, storm the gates of hell. And for far too long, we've allowed the, uh, the, the cultural elites and those advancing a secular ideology to advance their agenda. And the church has been silent. I was on the radio a few months ago and they said, what's your biggest concern in North America? America right now. And I said, the church, mm. I think it was a surprising answer, but that's the truth. It's <laughs> yeah. the church's silence, um, has only added to the advance of the secular ideologies in media, in our, uh, state run school systems, whether it be public school system or our universities. And unfortunately it's now creeping into our churches and our congregations. And we need to live in light of also the other uh, truth in scripture, Romans chapter one, uh, where uh, Paul says they've suppressed the truth of God. Um, that we need to understand that those that don't belong to the church um, are not ignorant of the truth, but they're actually suppressing the truth. Yes. And I think our culture is hungry for the truth right now. And we need to help people understand that it's not ignorance to the truth, but it's actually spiritual warfare that we're facing, that those that don't belong to the kingdom of God are actively suppressing the truth. They know the truth deep down inside, but suppressing the truth in unrighteousness. And it's the job of the church to call that out, but to expose people to what is true and what is good in the face of evil. 
Amen. Well, of course, uh, D. James Kennedy Ministries, Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church, and, and so forth, this has been a big part of, of your vision, Rob, in keeping with Dr. Kennedy's vision, is to is to take the truth back out there again and really reclaim these spheres for Jesus Christ. One of the ways that uh, we're doing that, Rob, you had the vision to relaunch the, the Center for Christian Statesmanship in Washington, D.C. That's something that Dr. Kennedy launched back in 1995 on Capitol Hill. Lauren, you are the new executive director of the the center as well. Why is something like the the Center for Christian Statesmanship such an important organization for us to have on Capitol Hill? And give us a little picture of some of what the, the, the Center for Christian Statesmanship is doing right now. Sure. So we just talked about the importance of lay people being involved in the culture and in the public square. Um, but it's equally as important for our leaders in politics to be able to take that same articulate, bold stance for the gospel and for our Christian worldview. And so the Center for Christian Statesmanship is a ministry where we can uh, minister to electeds and their staff and the people that are really running in the halls of government uh, to encourage them to take a bold stance for the gospel, uh, to stand for truth, and let them know that they're not alone. I think one of the things that's just so scary as a leader, whether it really is a, a pastor in a pulpit or it's a congressman uh, up in Washington, D.C., you feel like you're alone when you take uh, what the society calls a radical stance, right? We know that the gospel and the Bible is radical, but it's radically true. Mm -hmm. uh, and so we don't want Christian leaders to feel like they're alone. So the Center for Christian Statesmanship will do um, a number of different things. One is we will minister, equip, and stand next to Christian leaders in the halls of government to, to make sure that they um, aren't just taking a stand on their own, that they are loved and supported, that we pray for them, that we'll serve them. And we're not a lobbyist organization. And so we're really there to um, be a help to them, not to ask them for anything. And then secondly, um, one of the things that kind of is insider baseball is a lot of times it's the young staff that are running these offices up in Washington, D.C. And so we want to additionally uh, minister to them, uh, equip them, and let them know that you don't lose your soul when you go to Washington, D.C. Um, in fact, you can make a big difference. Absolutely. And one of the things that we want to continue to do, um, actually from the very beginning uh, of the Center for Christian Statesmanship, when it was launched in D.C. by uh, Dr. Kennedy, when it was uh, launched by uh, the, the, the founding executive director, Frank Wright, who was uh, previously CEO and president of uh, this ministry, mm -hmm. uh, one of the things that they've been doing is awarding a Christian statesman every year. Um, we've seen Tom DeLay and Dick Armey, Mike Pence, Betsy DeVos, and this past year, we uh, awarded uh, the 2022 award to Lieutenant Governor from Virginia, Winsome Sears. And the reason we want to do the award ceremony every year is in a culture and a society that has said Christian statesmanship is not possible. This is our way of saying it is possible. These are the men and women that are living out their Christian faith boldly in the public square. And we want to encourage not only those that are receiving the award, but, uh, but encourage young staffers, young congressional leaders and say, no, you can make a difference by being different. You know, you, we've heard a lot in the last few years about draining the swamp. And I, and, and I appreciate that sentiment. And I think there's a lot of truth and, and need to drain the swamp. <laughs> but I, I don't want the Christian the Center for Christian Statesmanship to just drain the swamp. I want to reclaim it Amen. for those that still believe that our country was influenced and founded by a Judeo-Christian worldview. 
and virtues and principles. Uh, when you drive through Washington, D.C., it preaches the gospel. Uh, the word of God is on monuments and in the halls of Congress, and it's undeniable. Just looking at our founding documents, both the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence, it talks about blessings. Yes. Blessings. Where do blessings come from? Our founders understood that blessings that would enable a country to preserve liberty and advance liberty for all could only come from God. And so it's our duty and our responsibility to relaunch the Center for Christian Statesmanship uh, to restore what we believe uh, was always the heart of the founders, was always part of the fabric of America without religion, uh, without absolute morals and virtues. The, the, the liberties that we experience today, hundreds of years later, are, are not possible. And it's high time that we restore uh, the, the vision for what it means to be a Christian statesman in America. Amen to that. And uh, that ministry to uh, staffers is so important as well in Washington, D.C., they say personnel is policy because the people who work for the congressman, the people who work for the senator, the people who work in the various departments of the executive branch and, and so forth, all of them have an enormous influence on what actually happens. And so that's a, a key ministry as well. Just an anecdote about the importance and reach of, of this ministry as well. It was, it was really encouraging. I got to be at the dinner in D.C. when we gave Winsome Sears that award. Uh, she, of course, the lieutenant governor of of uh, the Commonwealth of Virginia. You know, she and Glenn Youngkin, the governor, were elected in uh, after all the controversies about what was being taught in the curriculum and so forth as parents discovered critical race theory and things like that in the curriculum uh, when the uh, the pandemic lockdowns began. And so they were swept in in that wave when people said enough of this. But, but what was encouraging to me, I had never met Winsome Sears before. And when I went to uh, introduce myself, she pointed at me and she said, I know you. Well, how does she know me? Because she watches Truza Transform on television every week. She said, I, 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 she said I, I don't get to always catch it every week, but I DVR it and I binge it to catch up. So she, she's been watching Dr. Kennedy for uh, many, many years. He was a major influence on her. And through the broadcast ministry of D. James Kennedy Ministries, uh, that's, that's helped to influence her calling, helped to influence her worldview. And it's one that she's taking into an important government role. So uh, that's just one example, but this stuff really does matter. Oh, it was so encouraging to, to watch that unfold and to see her excitement. And, you know, we, we had asked her to give uh, a little uh, speech, you know, to receive the award. And uh, she got up there and she preached the gospel. She, she, she gave a sermon and yeah. it just showed that a true Christian statesman doesn't take the opportunity to say, look at me, look at what I've done, but really look at God and look at what God has done. And so when we talk about draining the swamp, Imagine uh, a place where Christians go to serve to protect our religious liberty and our, our freedom to, to speak and to worship and um, where it's a beautiful place where we look at Washington, D.C. and say, that's where Christians go to serve and to lead. And I think that there's opportunity for that. It doesn't happen overnight. We're not unrealistic, but I think that um, there's hope that we can make a significant difference. You know, I, I shudder to think what Western civilization would look like if it wasn't for uh, Christian statesmen being raised up 
uh, you know, in their local congregations, being sent out as missionaries to serve at the local, state, and federal level. I, I think of the British Empire. Uh, where where would we be without the William Wilberforces mm-hmm. um, uh, embracing his calling as a Christian in Parliament? Uh, God using him to abolish the slave trade in uh, all throughout the British Empire. Uh, what about uh, those uh, men and women that have served in uh, in the halls of Congress um, and at the local and state and federal level here in America uh, that were advancing the Judeo-Christian worldview in policies as the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence was being formulated and all of the flourishing that this society has experienced. It was Christians embracing their role uh, wherever God placed them in elected service. And as we see today, uh, religious liberty being just torn to torn to pieces and losing rights all over the place. It will be uh, Christian statesmen that are leading the charge. And as I said at that dinner, uh, as excited as I am to celebrate Winsome Sears, our heart at the Center for Christian Statesmanship is to ensure 20, 30 years from now that we're still producing and equipping statesmen like Winsome Sears and like the James Langfords, uh, those that we have awarded in the past. And that's really why the Center for Christian Statesmanship on Capitol Hill exists, so that for future generations, we're raising up Christians and equipping them, encouraging them, and empowering them to live out their faith uh, in Capitol Hill. And the thing that I find uh, encouraging as well as, uh, as exciting about that is that we don't have to fix everything. There really is sort of a, a salt principle or a yeast principle there where a little bit has in God's miraculous providence, a little bit tends to work its way through the full lump and a little bit of salt tends to, to do the work of salt preserving and, and, and so forth. And so it, it, we don't have to fix 100% of what's there. We do, uh, we, we do what God calls us to do. He has a way of magnifying that and, and, you know, making a lot of meals out of a couple of loaves and a, a handful of fish. So I'm very excited about these initiatives, the Institute uh, at Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church and the, the Center for Christian Statesmanship in D.C. And we just ask that people pray for these ministries and, and find ways to become involved in their own communities because the Lord uses it and we've seen how he does it already. Absolutely. And uh, we're praying for you, Lauren. Your uh, plate is yes. full. Lots of uh, Serving as executive director <laughs> of uh, both these initiatives, but uh, whether it's at the Institute equipping lay people or at the center, uh, equipping statesmen. Uh, we, we know that the Lord is in it. Um, just want to give a little shout out, uh, just a reminder of those websites. If you want to find out more about the Institute, it's institutefc.org. That's correct. And then Center for Christian Statesmanship. Statesman.org. Statesman.org. Institutefc.org or statesman.org. Encourage our audience uh, to listen to that. But uh, Lauren, so great to have you on the program. Yes. John, I appreciate you uh, being with us as well. Always a pleasure. And leading the conversation. And that's a wrap for today. And I want to thank everybody for listening uh, to this episode of the City of God podcast made in partnership with the Institute for Faith and Culture at Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church. This weekly podcast uh, can be listened to on all of uh, the places where you listen to uh, podcasts, whether it be Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, and make sure that you watch the video version on YouTube. And I want to thank you uh, for joining us, for listening to this podcast, and may God God richly bless you.